Turn your Bible, if you have your Bible this morning, I hope you do, to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter number 5. How many of you believe that God can work through song and, and sermon? I believe that, don't you? And uh, on sometimes Thursday, sometimes Friday, uh, this week Saturday, Lauren sends me the songs that we're going to sing. And, and that song was at the end. And, and what a wonderful song because when you go to the Bible, that, that last song that we sung is called Revelation Song. And, and actually, we're going to read an entire chapter of Revelation today. Revelation chapter 5, verse number 1. If you'll stand to honor the reading of God's Word, I'm just going to get straight into the sermon. I'm going to preach about worship this morning. Is that all right? Is, is it okay if I, if I preach about worship this morning? And, and if it wasn't all right, I'm going to do it anyway. So let's just, let's just go ahead and go with it. Revelation chapter 5, verse number 1. If you're there, please say Amen. amen. John says this, he says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within, and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. John said, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders, we'll get to the elders from chapter 4 in a few minutes, it says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four Beast, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the, upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and gold vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I, and I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, this is what they said, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as that are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing, and honor, and glory, and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down, and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning. God, we thank you for the Spirit that's here. God, thank you for allowing the Holy Spirit to come into this place. 
And God, to, to touch your people. Lord, I just pray that you would speak through your word this morning. God, use me as your vessel. God, I stand here unworthy this morning, but God, you are worthy. Lord, I just pray that we would lift you up. And God, that we would put you high and lifted up in our hearts this morning. God, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. God, we praise you. Thank you for all that you do. Give me clarity of mind, clarity of speech. In Jesus' name, amen. I gave you a statistic last week in the sermon, and it was a sad statistic that 51% of evangelicals think that God accepts worship from other religions besides Christianity. Isn't that sad? And that got me to thinking about, about worship and, and what worship really is. And the first place that I guess I went in my study this week was to the book of John chapter number 4 where Jesus finds a woman at the well. And Jesus tells that woman at the well, and, and I'll make this long story short, he, he prophesies to her, he tells her how many husbands she's had, and, and she is amazed. And Jesus starts talking about true worship. Jesus says in John chapter 4 that there's going to be true worshipers. So on the other side of that, that means to me in, in John chapter 4, if Jesus says there's true worshipers, there must be some false worshipers too. Wouldn't you tend to agree with that statement? And the way that you would differentiate those, those true worshipers and those false worshipers is that Jesus said that God is a spirit. And they that worship God must do two things. They must worship Him, number one, in spirit. And number two, they must worship Him in truth. So those 51% of people that say that, that God can, worship, can accept worship from somebody besides a Christian must not understand that they cannot worship God that way because that is not the truth. And God doesn't accept worship in any way but true worship and spiritual worship. Amen? And so we go to the book of Revelation, and I fast-forwarded, and it's amazing to me that John actually wrote that, those very words in John chapter 4 about Jesus saying that, that you can only worship Him in spirit and in truth. And then several, several years later, John's sitting on this island. He's a, a prisoner and, and has been cast out onto this island, and God comes to him. John says in the first chapter that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And then an angel appeared to him and, and, and we go through the whole, the whole uh, explanation of the seven churches and all this. And then as soon as that ends, we get to Revelation chapter number 4. And John in Revelation chapter number 4, and I'll just read the first few verses here. It says in verse, chapter 4 verse 1, keep your Bible open this morning. It says, and after this I looked and behold the door was open and in heaven... And the first voice which I heard was there of a trumpet talking to me which said, Come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Verse 2 says, And immediately I was in the Spirit and beheld a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he that sat on it was to look upon like jasper and a sardine stone and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So John was snatched up into heaven. And don't you understand that when John saw all these things, when John saw the angel, when John saw the one on the throne, there was only one thing that John was capable of. And you know what that was? It wasn't that John raised his hands and said, God, thank you for allowing me to see all these things. It wasn't that John jumped up and, and just shouted. It was that John, when he saw all these wonderful things, could do nothing more than to fall flat on his face and just worship God. That's all John could do. 
Did you know that when God created man, that he put inside man, he put inside you a predisposition to worship? You, this morning, were created. When, when, you, when life was breathed into you in your mother's womb, God made you as a creature to worship him. You're predisposed to do it. And if you don't believe me, I can tell you that. Well, you say, well, preacher, not everybody worships God. No, I said you're predisposed to worship. Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were created, what, for the glory of God. God created Adam and Eve so that he could be glorified through them. We're made in the image of God, and we're made to worship God. But then Satan showed up on the scene in Genesis chapter 3 and and everything was messed up. But even though sin came onto the scene, even though evil came in, men still have a predisposition. We're still created and made to worship something. And people will worship something. You're going to worship something. It's easy to see. In men, I'll just talk for the men because I'm a man and, and this is the, what I see. I see a lot of men, especially my age, you know, early 30s, maybe going into their 40s and, and into their 50s even. And you know what they worship? They worship their career. You know that? That's what they worship. How can I tell? Because it's the center of their life. Everything else in their life revolves around their career or revolves around their job or revolves around whatever that they do to make money. And and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Going out and having a job is a great thing. You should do that. But let me say this, that if if that is taking the place of God in your life, then you're out of sorts. And you're worshiping the wrong thing. You're, not, you're no longer worshiping in truth. And you're especially not worshiping in spirit. You're worshiping a fleshly thing. And people do that. And it's, it's not a rare thing. It's very common. It's, it, it, it's not just happening in, in the world around us. Let me tell you this. that, that wor- People worship their careers right here. They go to church every Sunday. Everybody gets quiet. Come on now. Say Amen. It's okay. That means you must worship your career, right? Men do that. Men worship their career. And, and so I'll speak for the men. But, but let me say this, if, and I'm going to read into chapter 4. That how, how do you know what you're worshiping? How can you tell if you're truly worshiping God or not? And I, and I alluded to it just a moment ago, that whatever that you worship is going to be in the center of your life. Your life is going to be the pivot on which your life revolves. You know, a career-minded person, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't care about your career. You should. But a career-minded person, they they will be engulfed with that. They will be engulfed with something. And it doesn't have to be a job. It can be anything. You can worship. I know this is hard to believe. You can worship school. You can worship education. You can worship a television. You can worship alcohol. There are so many things that people can put in their life. And it becomes the crux of their life. And everything they think about is that. And they are consumed with it. And it becomes what they build their life around. And so we get to Revelation. Let's read Revelation chapter 4. I'll just go ahead and read the rest of the chapter if that's all right. It's just 11 verses. I promise it'll be okay. So John sees this throne. 
And it says that the one that sat up on the throne is, is, is like unto sardine stone or like unto jasper. And I studied that out and, and, and the best I can tell that it just means that, that whoever was sitting on the throne just had a, a shiny, glossy appearance. I believe that this is the only description we have because John was looking upon the one that sat on the throne and that was God. You know it's God because Jesus comes and gets a book out of his hand later on. And I don't think that John had the ability or to describe what he was seeing. All he could say is he saw a throne. Now remember, we're in heaven at this point, right? Amen? John has been taken off the earth. He's been snatched up into heaven. And he's been taken there. And he's been set down in the middle of this scene. And so John introduces us to this. And so we have the throne. But draw your attention to verse number 4. It says in verse number 4, And round about the throne. So if you see something, and it says that something is around about it, what does that mean? What does that mean is in the center, the throne, right? So you see where I'm going here? Do you understand where this is going here? This is simple stuff to understand. And he says, And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, or twenty-four seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads gold or crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And then you go on and he gives a description of the beast. And then in verse 8 it says, And the four beasts had each of them six wings with about him. And they were full of eyes within, and the rest not day and night. They rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne forever, who liveth forever and ever. And then he goes on in verse number 11, and he talks about, how God created all things. And I want you to understand that, that this is something that we've never seen and our mind can't really grasp it. And I think this is one of the, the reasons that people skip Revelation a lot is there's things in there that are, that are just hard to understand, right? They don't understand it because they've not seen it. And John is seeing these things for the first time. But John sees 24 elders. I guess the, the, what, the reason he would say elders maybe is they, were, they looked older to him. They probably had white hair and maybe white beards. And they sat there. And it said that they never rested. That day and night they sat there and they said, Holy, holy, holy. And they said that and they repeat it. And they repeat it and, and they keep saying it. Now I want you to understand that, that, that this could be taking place, what John is seeing, it could be taking place in the future, or it could have been taking place right then. But I can guarantee this, that those beasts and those elders are still sitting at the throne today. And you know what they're saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and He is worthy to be praised. That's all they can say. 
John never says that they say another word. Another word does not proceed out of their mouth. Why? Because they were created to worship Him. That's why they were created. God put them into existence. And all they can do is worship God. Because they're angels, because they're elders and beasts and things like that, they don't have a choice. But may I present to you this morning, you have a choice. You can decide for yourself this morning whether you're going to worship God or you're not going to worship God. It's up to you. But I'll ask you this question, and it's a simple question. Why would you not want to worship God? Why would you want to put anything else in front of God? Why would anything else be at the center of your life? Why? We ask ourselves why a lot, don't we? Why do we do this? Why do we do that? I ask you that in a sermon almost every Sunday. Why do you do this? But it's, it's, it's worth asking again. Why would you want anything else in front of God? See, the reason that these elders worship God is not just because they're made to, but because God is worthy to be worshipped. God is worthy above anything else to be worshipped. Now let me take a little sidebar here and tell you that there is a difference between praising God and worshiping God. Now they go hand in hand. A lot of times you can't really have one unless you have the other. I mean, they're just meshed so close together. But the thing about praise, the thing about praise is, is you thank God for doing something for you most of the time. Right? Right? When we give God praise, when we praise God, you know, let's just say you go to the doctor and, and you thought you were going to have a bad result and you have a good test result and you go to church and you say, I want to praise God for this good test result. Well, really, the praise is on God, but the, the, it's, it's about you. It's about what He did for you. But see, the thing about worship is that it's not about you. It's only about God. See, most of the time, our praise is dependent upon God doing something for us. It shouldn't be, but it is. I mean, that's just, that's just the truth of it, amen? But worship is not like that. Worship is totally different. Whether God does something for us or whether God doesn't do anything for us, He is still worthy to be worshipped. He is still worthy. So we see that, that the elders were sitting there and we see the reverence that they had for God. They lifted him up and they put him in his proper place which was, was at the center of everything. That everything else revolved around God. That nothing else in this scene was happening that wasn't happening around God. This was all centered on him. And they were doing it in a reverent fashion. Not only do we see the, the, the reverence that they had for him, but we saw the reason is because God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is what they said. They said that holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was and which is and which is to come. 
And then in verse 9 of chapter 4, and it says, Then those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever. Verse 11 of chapter 4 says this, That thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were, were they created. They had a good reason to worship. We have a good reason to worship this morning. It amazes me. It, it, it boggles my mind. I can't grasp it. Why that God would let somebody as unworthy as I am worship somebody as worthy as him. I mean, you have to understand, as worthy as he is, we're that unworthy. We were born with that predisposition to, to worship, but we were born with that predisposition to sin also. And sin has stained us. And made us unworthy. But do you know how awesome and holy God is? That God looked at you in your sin and in your unworthiness and said, Hey, I'm going to make them so that they can worship me. God had to, had to step down and come to earth and make a way so that we could worship him. What a privilege that we have this morning. An absolute privilege. We see the reverence. We see the reason. But then later on in chapter 5, and I read chapter 5 for a reason. You think that I, that I was supposed to read chapter 4. But chapter 5, it says in verse number 8, let's pick up the reading there again. I'm reading a lot this morning because I want to I show you that, that worship and, and is biblical. But there's a biblical way to do it. There's a right way to do it. And here it is right here. Verse 9 says, and they sung a new song. This is the, the everybody that's around the throne. It says, and they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals, for thou wast slain. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. They're singing a song about Jesus. He said, you were slain and that you have redeemed us to God. You know what he did? He made us worthy. Even though we were worthy. He redeemed us. That word redeemed means that we were bought back. That sin had us imprisoned and sin had us chained down so that we could not worship God. But that he redeemed us. He brought us out of our sin. It says he has redeemed us to God by, every, by the blood of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And he says it has made us under king, our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And behold, and I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels. Now we have elders, we have beasts, and now we have angels showing up on the scene. And it says, and the, the angels showed up round about the throne. They're, the center of it is still God here. I want you to understand that they surrounded the throne of God. And it says that they were round about the throne. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And I thought, and I sat there in my study, and I thought, How, what is 10,000 times 10,000? Anybody who's a, a math genius should know that right off, right? Well, I thought it was a million. I thought, that seems logical. You just put all them zeros together. But no, it says that, the Bible says that 100 million angels showed up to worship God. That they had no other purpose. They were not out messing around on the earth. They weren't out doing things. They weren't out being messengers. All they were doing is they were around the throne of God. We have 100 million, and then he has and thousands of thousands. So however many that is, and they're around the throne, and they're singing a song. 
In verse 12, it says, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain, that He is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I thought about that and I thought, you know, th- those are the things that God, it says that He's worthy to receive them. So if God is to receive those things, and I know that's hard to believe that God can still receive power because God has all power, right? That God can receive riches because God owns all the riches, right? And so on and so forth. But all those things are given to Him by who? The worshipers. The worshipers. You say, well, how can I worship God? Well, anything that you have, all the power and the riches. See, you know those, those things I talked about earlier, those things that you build your life around. You pour everything that you have into it. All the power that you have, maybe the physical strength that you have in your body. You get up and you go to work and you, you slave for, for 50, 60, 70 hours a week sometimes. And you put all your power into it. And you put all your wisdom into it, everything that God has given you, and you're pouring yourself into that. And that becomes what you worship. But it says that He is worthy to receive that. I'm talking about a hundred million angels are sitting here singing a song that says that He is worthy to receive it. He is worthy. You want to know how you can worship God? Give Him everything that you have. Turn it over to Him. Or at least be willing to turn it over to Him. When you get saved, does God say that you've got to take every penny you've got in the bank down and give it to the church? No, He doesn't say that. But if He did, you ought to be willing to do it. Say amen right there. Come on. Everybody got nervous. I talked about a bank account and everybody just shut down on me, right? But what I'm saying is, is I'm trying to get you to understand that you've got to be willing to give everything to God. You've got to be willing to pour it out in an instant like that. That's worship. Did you know that? You know, worship, like I said, when John fell on his face, he was, he was, it was as good as a dead man. It said that he was like a dead man. I fell on my face like a dead man. And it's awesome to praise him by raising your hands. I love it. I absolutely, during the songs this morning, there was praise given, and thank God for that. But true worship is to give everything to God. To be willing to give everything to God. Why? Because He is worthy. Verse 13 of chapter 5, we'll read a couple of more verses. And it says, In every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such that is in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto Him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. So they're singing, but then something happens, and it says, and the four beasts said, Amen. There it is right there. They said, Amen, and the four and twenty elders did something. It says that they fell down. They fell down. Do you see that? Do you see where it says that they fell down, and then, and then they did something, and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. 
They fell down on their faces and they worshiped him. He's worthy this morning. But I want you to understand this. That when God is worshipped in spirit and in truth, that causes him to move. Did you know that? You think, well, where do you, where do you get that? Where, where do you see that in the scripture? I won't read chapter 6, but I'm going to tell you what happens, okay? See, in the beginning of chapter 5, it said that God was sitting there holding a book, right? And it sealed up. And they had to find somebody to open that book. And that somebody was Jesus. He was the only one that could open it. But when that book was opened, why was it open? It was as a result of the worship, right? They were worshiping him in chapter 5. They worshiped him. And then after the worship was over, something happened. God poured his, his wrath out upon the earth. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Now, I'm not saying that, that when you worship God, he's going to pour out wrath. What I'm saying is, and what I'm pulling from that, and I'm going to give you another little, little bit of scripture here in a minute, is that when God is worshipped, God's power is shown. That's what happens, is God shows his power. Why? Because you don't have any power left. See, when you're worshiping God, you've given him everything, right? You're on your face. You have fell down, and you're in a, in, a, in a prostrate position, laying there saying, God, everything in my life is yours. I don't have any power. I don't have anything. I don't have uh, any money, nothing, any wisdom. So God says, well, since you don't have any of that, I'll show you mine. I'll show you my power. And so I found that in another place in the Bible, and it's all over the Bible. But particularly in the book of 2 Chronicles, the, the temple has been built. And I'm going to pick up reading in 2 Chronicles chapter number 5. This is about this, when, when God is worshipped. I want you to understand this, that God's power will be shown. 2 Chronicles chapter 5 verse number 6 says this. And it says, And also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him before the ark sacrificed sheep and oxen which could not be told nor numbered for multitude. And the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto his place, to the oracle of the house, unto the most holy place, even unto the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread forth their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubims covered the ark and the staves above, thereof above. And so it says that they brought the ark of God. Verse 10, there was nothing in the ark save the two tables which Moses put therein in Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place for all the priests that were present were sanctified and did not then wait by course. Also the Levites which were the singers and so there was singing. And it came to pass in verse 13 as the trumpeters and the singers were as one. That's important. Did you know that? That's important. If you read verse 13, I want to read it again. It says, and it came to pass as the trumpeters and the singers were as one. To make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. When that happened, when they were giving God what He was worthy of, 
and very importantly, in one accord. You see that? Those angels, those 100 million angels, could you imagine trying to get 100 million people to do the same thing? That'd be impossible, wouldn't it? But at the throne of God, those 100 million angels were in one accord worshiping. These people here, the children of Israel, were in one accord and they worshiped God. And it says in the, at the end of verse 13, that then the house was filled with a cloud. This is the Spirit of God. This is the power of God, even the house of the Lord. So that the priest could not stand to minister by reason of the cloud. For the glory of the, of the Lord had filled the house of God. God's power moved in that place so much that the priest couldn't even do what they were supposed to do. God commanded the priest to do a job and they could not do it because the power of God manifested itself. Because people worshipped. People worshipped. You're worshipping something this morning. I don't know what it is. I don't really want to know what it is. That's not my objective. My objective is not to pry through your life and know anything about you. But God knows what you're worshipping. God knows. You know how he knows? Because if you're not worshipping him, you're worshipping something. What is it? What is it? What? Why would you want to worship anything else? This holy, thrice holy God. It said holy, holy, holy. One holy is good enough, but he said it three times, Tanner. He's, uh, he's, he's triply holy. And we're triply unholy. But yet he says, hey, you can worship me. Why don't we worship God? Cecil, come on to the up here in Lauren, come to the piano. We're going to sing that Revelation song again. And this morning, I know this has been a little different. This has been probably a little strange to you, but this is worth understanding that God expects this out of us. You have a choice to do it, but God expects it out of you. And I ask this morning that if God is not at the very center of your life, that you would put him there. See, that's your choice. That's up to you this morning. You can put God there or you can put something in his place. But if you put something in his place, you know what it is? It's an idol. What's the Ten Commandments say? Thou shalt not have any other gods, what? Before me. There's other gods. And there's so many of them. God said, worship him. Everybody stand this morning. Let's sing this song. Go ahead and sing.